You are listening to Firebellies, a podcast where I speak to artists, mystics, and change makers from all walks of life about their ways in the world. These people are my friends and community, some near, some far, all moving with a message I believe is worth sticking around for. My name is Jana Feidzedze. Thank you for being here and welcome to another beautiful episode. Gogodineo Ndlanzi is a preeminent and pioneering Sangoma who has successfully merged the sacredness of African spirituality with modern thinking. She is a celebrated spiritual teacher, life coach, African storyteller, actress, writer, dancer, and trained facilitator, not to mention mother of four of her own children and spiritual mother to so, so, so many spiritual children too. Teaching is at the heart of what Gogodineo does. There have been many occasions where Gogodineo and her space have had a very big, loud, significant effect in my life. There's been a lot of pivotal moments that have happened there or been in correlation to that space or guided or supported by that space. And some of them I speak about in my book pertaining to spirit and dance. I write about some of them in The Fire in My Belly. But there's one story that I haven't shared. And I've been wondering whether to or not. I actually recorded this intro without it and later decided that it may be of value to some of you listening. So I'm going to share it as a testament to the way that I experience Gogodineo and her space um, and the way that it will give you what you are ready for. There was a time when we were at church. Back then, church happened on a Wednesday. Nyanazo and I had gone together and there was one of the Sangomas preaching to the congregation. At that point in time, I was really deep in figuring out my own whiteness. And my own experience of unpacking my whiteness has been closely linked with my childhood experiences being called Nazi because I was German in a small English town. So a lot of people attributed my oddball strangeness <laughs> to being German and that kind of stood out about me. Why are you called Jana? Jana, what's that? And even though my name really doesn't have much to do with being German at all, I'm named after a South American tree, I found myself just saying, oh, my mama's German, I'm German. And so Nazi, Nazi, Nazi became part of um, my childhood. So when I first came to South Africa, I found that a lot of what I was tussling with internally in relation to my own whiteness, even though whiteness for sure pertains to being British too, was the memory in my body of being called a Nazi and being kind of identified with the perpetrator and the bad guy and the losers of the war um, in a, a context that had to do with Hitler. So back to the congregation and the story this woman, one of Gogodineo's initiates, was preaching and she was very passionately saying, we are conquerors. And I found myself in this predicament that I've experienced before. It wasn't the first time, but it was this feeling of like, am I supposed to receive that? Is that for me 
Or am I supposed to excuse myself or exclude myself from the situation? Can I passionately declare that I'm a conqueror without that being offensive or oppressive? And so this internal churning started there. And then after she had spoken, the drums started to play and everyone erupted into song and Gogo Dineo stood to dance. And I've never shared this story with her. Perhaps she'll be listening um, to this and hearing it for the first time. But whilst she was dancing, she raised her arm in a way that was very similar, if not the same, as a Nazi salute. And it completely threw me off guard. So much so that I fell to my knees and I wept. I was just crying and crying and crying and crying. And there were lots of visions of hurt and understanding. And a lot of what I have um, been able to articulate was a result of that experience. A lot of what I'm able to articulate to white friends and family and clients about the experience of whiteness. Um, a lot of it is rooted in what came through me and what came to my body during that time, during that experience. I was struck to the core of something that no one could have uh, actively orchestrated or facilitated for me. And I say this really to demonstrate and to advocate for the way that Gogodineo and Gogodineo's space will give you what you are ready for. I trust that the same goes for this podcast. We dive into so many areas of her practice and the philosophies that carry her. I know that there is wisdom and insight and blessing embedded all the way through and I trust that the pieces that reach you will be for you the same way that that experience at Gogo Dineo's place, at church on a Wednesday, many years ago, was absolutely for me. Without further ado, this podcast starts with me asking Gogo Dineo to introduce herself. Let's go. Hey, that's very difficult. You know, when I have to introduce myself, I always struggle. It's because uh, there's so much to say about who I am, right? Um, but I normally say to people, you know, I'm a spiritual being who's having a human experience and in my human form, I'm a mother of four. So that's the other thing that actually when I think people are like, so incredibly busy and people don't understand how motherhood is su such a full-time job, right? And I've got four. Um, and it's like most nights I come home, I have to prepare dinner. Uh, you know, I do have help, but my kids prefer my food. So it's just like a lot of, um, of, 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 of like mothering is, is a full-time job amongst many other things that I do. So I am a practicing Sangoma. Sangoma is one who's trained in indigenous African spiritual um, healing practices. I'm a facilitator. I'm a relationship coach. I am so many other things, but I stand for, you know, African spiritual teachings and, 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 and healing because most of my work is embedded in African philosophy. So, yeah. So just in a little bit, that's who I am. People can I'm, Google me. That's what I say. <laughs> just Google Coco Dineo and Danzi. Uh, you know, the first thing that comes up on Google is my website that has a long bio and my background and the things that I've done and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And of all the people that get to say, listen, just Google me. You are definitely one of them. <laughs> you are definitely one. Um, yeah. 
speaking of motherhood, you have four children. You also have, gosh, how many initiated children and grandchildren? Some are still in it. I think I'm, I'm nearing a hundred now of children. And I think it's probably like, probably less than 10 grandchildren. And I've got one great grandchild amongst the almost hundred initiates I've trained. Wow. Yeah. I'm curious to know what are the similarities and the differences between becoming a mother to your firstborn child and a mother to your firstborn initiated Sangoma child? Are there connections there? Are there similarities? Are there parallels? I'd love mm. to hear. That's a great question. I've never been asked that question in my entire interview podcast, radio, like I've done so many stuff, but nobody has ever asked me that question. That's such a powerful question. And I mean, the first thing that come into my mind is that there's so many similarities because my firstborn uh, biological child complains how I'm spoiling my lastborn child. The same way my firstborn spiritual child complains about how the rest of the rest of the, you know, the children after him are being spoiled and you know, they, they get the easier version of me, the softer, much more gentler, whereas I was much stricter and a, you know, a very hard disciplinarian. Um, I feel like people, you know, what's important is that we are not the same people. That's why we say we are spiritual beings who are having a human experience, because in my human experience, I've encountered a lot of stuff and in, in encountering a lot of stuff, I've also come to awareness what stuff has really taken life away from me and how that has contributed to how I parent. So as I heal, I become better. And as I become better, I do better. So they found me with my younger self. I had my first born at 24. I had my first initiate um, in my early 30s, you know. So I was still a young person myself trying to discover and figure myself out. And I realized that the more I do work on myself, the better I am in relationships in general, especially in how I parent. Um, so it is, uh, it is the, with the first, with the first few initiates, it's the same way with mothering because I stayed with them. They stayed under my roof. They ate, you know, we ate in the same house and the bond was so strong that they literally will feel like my children. So mm -hmm. I was personally invested, but over time, since I've separated my work from my personal space, uh, you know, what's different now being a, a mother of initiates and a biological mother is that I don't have that personal investment anymore. It doesn't feel like if they're failing, I'm failing, you know, mm -hmm. um, if they're not doing uh, great, then I'm, I need to obsess about how to get them back in order because at the end of the day with initiates, I'm training adults. So we call them children because in the spirit world, because they're coming to become childlike with the curiosity and with the willingness to really absorb and take in as much as they need to take in through the initiation process. So that's why we call them children, but I don't initiate children. I initiate people from the ages of 24, 23. I mean, the youngest I initiated was 18 and I wasn't really keen on that because I feel like the calling, it's such a big thing and there's so much that is asking of you and the responsibility of having to be able to be responsible, to figure things out and the complexities of the spiritual world. Whereas at such a young age, you don't have a life experience that adds value besides the technical aspects that we teach you and train you with. 
but you know, it's again, it's spirit. So as much as I can have a preference with, with her that I trained, actually she's my grandchild of the firstborn of my initiates. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, refusing. And I could see that, no, I was actually doing an injustice to her. And she's doing extremely well. As young as she is, she's doing extremely well as a as a healer. But you could see that there are challenges and because she doesn't have the life experience. Because being a healer, you, you, you also heal from your own experiences. Because it's not only learned through initiation, but it's also your own lived experience. And I've got a million lived experiences, you know, it's like... I separated from my husband for three years. That is like, a, that's the wisdom that came and the lessons that came. I can now sit as a relationship coach, you know, cause I'm trained in relationship coaching, but as a Sangoma and really offer proper guidance and sit in those conversations with much greater empathy than before, because I've been on the other side, you know? So yeah. the, the differences now are quite clear where I understand that the relationship is spiritual parenting and spiritual parenting is not the same as biological parenting because biological parenting, you are definitely more hands-on. Whereas now I, I really try to, you know, allow for them, them to really build and cultivate their discipline because the training is really about discipline because a lot of people succeed because they can apply discipline. But if I'm a too much of a hands-on spiritual parent, I'm also not enabling people, you know. So if I'm watching, if you're not eating the right foods, you're waking up at 3 a.m., you know, they wake up at 2.30 a.m. in the morning. If I'm, I'm monitoring all of that, I'm, it's not really being empowering. You know, whereas with my five-year-old, if we have to get up at that time, I'm not going to just allow it for them to just, you know, do as they please. Um, sometimes, which I do, like now they're supposed to be in bed, but when they were dead, and I did say, you know, a few minutes ago, bedtime, but... Dad is the one who's responsible, um, you know. And I think with this, you know, even though I'm parenting, because interesting, I'm parenting, you know, the spiritual children with my husband. Uh, but most of them, you know, spiritually, they are my children, and he becomes a father by, you know, by being a a spiritual parent too. But the responsibility lies on me. So there, there's a lot. I feel like I can. You know, I, I can I can change on the spot, whereas here I need to have conversations. You know, I don't parent alone and I need to also understand his own parenting style that sometimes is not. Yeah, it's difficult for me. You know, it's like I'm lucky too easy. Nine is nine. You know, put them into bed. I can literally have to take the kids and put them in the bed. You can just like, go to bed, go to bed, you know. So it's 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 that. And um, I think. The other similarity is that with every parent, even though you did not give birth to a biological child, there is um, there's there's something within you that really wishes the children that are growing under you know under your wings very well. Like everybody wants to see them well, thrive and succeed. Um, you know, when they go through difficulties, I feel them. I I feel the pain. I feel I feel the head. But what I've noticed is that sometimes the pain in the head it's more me taking too much responsibility for their past. So I feel like, why did I not do right as their trainer? How have I not explained things more properly? And I realized that, you know, no matter how how much I can make my processes more clearer, uh, more easy, more understandable, but I'm dealing with people who choose here. So I cannot really interfere with their divine will and their choices. They were given sovereignty. If they want to do something which is against the principles of our work, I can't stop it, you know, no matter how many explanations I've done. But that really 
I think for me, it, it was helpful for me to separate the two because before I couldn't see the difference. It was, and the spiritual children were taking too much of my time, uh, mm. of my biological children. And then they were being the older siblings to my children now, parenting my children and feeling like then my children are not growing under, you know, our principles, our ethics and, and values as a family. Now they, you know, this one says no this and this one says that because we have different initiates, different backgrounds, different values and yeah, so it's it's that. But with the first with the first bonds, they all they have the same complaints. Like you're too easy, <laughs> you're so relaxed. You know, Musisa's my first bond. It's like you're so like how how come you are giving Sia so much? You let Sia get away with so much, and I couldn't get away with so much. And you know, and I'm like, I'm grown up. I'm not as panicky as I was when I had you. I was in my early twenties. I see her in my late thirties. So. I know, I know how it works. I know that he's being a child when he's running under the table, you know, when he's doing certain <laughs> yeah. things, we can ask him, but we don't have to scream and throw things at him to stop because he's at that age where he needs to be that, that age. And I think the, the, the interesting part is that when you've got children that are ages apart and you realize when they're older, they don't need you. And you're like, let's go out. It's like, no, I don't want to go out. Right. And then the five year old is like, I want to go for pizza. And, and you're like, oh, I can't do pizza. And you're like, let's do this thing because they're going to get to a stage where I don't need mommy anymore. And it hurts, you know? So, yeah. My parents, they had four of us. I'm the first one. And they say, your first one is made of glass. Your second one is made of wood. Your third <laughs> one is made of rubber. And your fourth one, you don't have time to see what they're made of. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and my sister, the youngest, she's really offended. She's like, what? You don't know what I'm made of? <laughs> it's like a, a thing that they say in my family. Gogo, I, um, I wanted to start this podcast because I was seeing that I was having a lot of similar conversations with people about the amount that has changed from the past. So looking to the past, even if it's just the past few years, the amount that has changed for so many of us. And, and, and feeling like right now we're in a space of emerging from that. We're coming back into the world and we're looking to a future that's quite different in, in many ways, you know, and there's, there's lots of different details there that we could track. But I'm curious to know, as we speak about future visions as a theme, how do you relate to your practice as a Sangoma being a very ancient practice, a very deeply ancestral practice and bringing that as someone who's initiating people, how do you, how do you bring that into the modern world? How do you marry those worlds? How do you, how do you bring something that is so ancient and so steeped in a way of life that is not necessarily our way of life today and honor the truth of it and the essence of it, whilst also acknowledging that technology is developing in the way that it is and that life is moving at a faster pace and there's all these different facets to reality that are now coming in. How do you how do you relate to the the ancient and the new and the the space that we're in now of those two things being married or in I dynamic? think you're asking me that question nicely. A lot of people would be raw and say like how do you take a traditional process and 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 you know evolve it into the modern times and i say like one of the illusions is that or the distortions is that 
anything African remains in the primitive, right? It remains in the ancient, and therefore that Africans were never innovative and would never evolve because they belong into the Stone Ages. And that's a that's a false false teaching. That's a false understanding of what African tradition and culture is because I say culture is a way of life and traditions are values and norms that inform the way of life. So what is the way of life of 2022 moving forward? Then what are the, you know, the, the, the norms and the values that we need to put into place? Um, yet understanding that the word tradition is really one to be cast in stone and engraved as like that. And that's why I move away from even being called a traditional healer to becoming a spiritual healer because spirit lives in the present moment and mm -hmm. spirit is always focusing on what is the need right now and how do we best serve and what is the essence of what what this person is calling us to do or what this initiation process is requiring us to do because you find that when people are very traditional as in you know i don't want to say asian but in their thinking because african healing is not traditional healing so then what is Western medicine? You know, what is Asian medicine? What is, you know, Greek medicine? Because it's all, it's all traditional medicine. Western medicine is tradition, traditional medicine from the West, right? And African is tradition. So I move away from tradition because there's so much stigmatization and, and stereotypes around that, that term. And that's why I prefer indigenous spiritual healer. Because in spirituality, we always say things are always evolving and changing because energy transforms, it never dies. So as it transforms into this era of the modern technological world, what is the essence that still keeps the principles alive? Because we can't move away from the core principles of operation. So for example, we have a ritual called Ugupatha, right? Ugupatha mm -hmm. is an act of connecting, communicating with your loved ones who have departed. And so what's the essence of that is remaining in connection and communication. So in ancient times, what would people do is that they would have a whole setup, like a whole house as a sacred space where, you know, that we believe that the spirit of our loved ones would be brought into that space through another act of ritual. So we'd go there to communicate and connect, um, you know, and because, we, we, we were creatures of understanding that everything needs to be given its time and moment, but we also had the luxury of certain things like time to do, to spend a day in that space or an hour in that space. We also had the luxury of land, which we don't have uh, in South Africa. You know, we don't own a lot. We don't own land. Black people don't own land. So when you look at it, it's like, okay, so it can mean that in order for me to connect and communicate, I need to then have that space, that sacred space, because besides it, I can't. We have people in the diaspora. Uh, we have people who have mixed race and everyone has an ancestor irrespective of race because we didn't say ancestors belong to black people. Ancestors are your loved ones who've departed. So does it mean that then I can't communicate with my ancestors if I don't know any of the native indigenous languages? No, that's incorrect. You know, so we do evolve. It's just people, again, like I said, when people want to think everything African remains in the primitive and it needs the world to rescue it from its primitive and ancient ways of doing things. Actually, I think the West needs more of Africa right now because a lot that's going on because of the Western philosophy has, has really destroyed your humanity, right? So it does yeah. evolve. So in my practice, 
we we see where the need and where spirit is guiding us because the need the people need online consultations we offer online consultations what i can offer is online initiation process because to initiate is going through a rebirth you can't give birth you don't give birth to your child online you know <laughs> you, you your your midwife wasn't like push no it's two centimeters via zoom <laughs> yes that would be possible uh but there's a lot that initiation is asking of you because you are shedding off old skin so you also need a community you can't initiate mm-hmm. on your own you need a community that can really hold space and support your process because in community we heal you know which is one of the tools we use as africans to heal people through trauma so you need the music you need the drumming and when your spirit is when you are trancing who is going to be an ear that listen to the messages of the spirit you see so there's certain things that we can't but there's a lot that i do now online i mean i don't even have to send medicine to the to people in the west i use what is in the west that has similar medicinal healing properties as us so if somebody is looking for impepo we you use the sage of where you are because most countries have sage if they don't have raw sage they don't have sage oil or something made of sage because sage is very important for us in 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 our healing practices you know people don't have snuff but you've got tobacco snuff is a to- it's a bug so i feel like people sometimes want to remain because they don't have the knowledge and i think with practitioners like us we just think just qualifying as a sangoma qualifies you as a practitioner uh, who can actually um be able to uh, do beyond what you've been taught but a healer is the one who a great healer and a great master is the one that is always in the learning process so as a gobela which is master which is teacher i say that you know my ability to become a greater teacher is my my willingness to learn or my ability as a student so i'm always learning like i'm always learning and seeing how better to do things and and this is what i asked my ancestors when i came back from initiation because i got the message that your work is for the world your work is for the world then i started to get a lot of international inquiries into my work and i was like ooh somebody's not going to fly from the uk for an hour consultation how is this going to work you know and before zoom there was skype remember before whatsapp yeah. video there was skype and i was like okay i'm going to use skype and there was a lot of criticism from the people who were hold up that you need to be in a physical space you know you connect to energy so energy doesn't need one to be in a physical space and i started like that and and it worked and i was like okay good you know and like i'm saying now before i would used to find and de- you know uh, export things um and export costs are very expensive sometimes it costs a client much more money to ship stuff than for me to say find me this find me sage find me rose water and they find and it works the same way as what we would use here because i think at the end of the day intention is very important when anyone is doing any work because the intention is what evokes the medicinal properties of you know what you are using because even with our medicine um, our medicine is very powerful but what is the energy because as a healer you're an energy transferer you know i always when i teach um my students i'm like you can't heal from a heavy heart the greatest of healers are the ones who are always decluttering from within you know the lighter you are the more you could give to other people but the heavier you are you are full already and you are full of things and what you are giving is burdens and sorrows and all of that so i'm really an advocate of people doing inner work like mental and emotional health is as important as spiritual and physical health 
because sometimes people's spiritual processes don't work because mentally and emotionally there's a lot of clutter there um so yeah so no so african healing does evolve so african healing is modern healing it's just that it's embedded in this in in asian practices so philosophies but philosophy is is essence you don't you can't change the essence i can't change the essence of you right i can't change your your dna uh, you know i can't change your chromosome you you had two chromosomes that made you into a female i can't change those essences um yeah. but i can actually work with who you are becoming without boxing you into your dna you know into your race i can't change that you are white uh but being white does not need to limit you from engaging and interacting with other things like oh my god i can't speak about ancestors is for the black people only <laughs> So what do you call your people who've departed? I find it funny when people say like do white people have callings I'm like you are we are all called. We have incarnated into these physical beings because there was a calling. There was a being that was needed on earth and you put up your hand, you know, and you said I'm ready to go. And by the time your your left brain kicks in at the age of 2 because what is starts to i mean in our mother's womb our right brain is formed first you know the creative and the intuitive and our left brain which is the logical and the rational so the time the logical and the rational starts to kick in you move away from the intuitive and then the rational is like yeah we don't do this kind of things here we don't talk like that we don't engage like this the programming starts and the programming then moves you away from your calling right and then you get what i call calling awakening processes where people call it suffering like you're not suffering you're being reminded what does your mm-hmm. car do when it needs a service it goes Ugh! and you're like oh something wrong with this car like, right like and then it keeps on telling you and then you don't listen and then it breaks down in the middle of the road and you're like oh my god why am mm-hmm. i having such bad luck you're not having bad luck you're not present alex just pay attention you know listen <laughs> the same way our bodies tell us right like i've been i mean i think i've just had this unexplainable exhaustion and finally i just went to see my homeopath and i said hey i'm just feeling tired all the time and i realized that i've got a hormonal imbalance but i would have landed up in a hospital or in some coma and and you'd be like yeah the ancestors don't love me they punish me hey you see the religion wound is big because we always think that things are happening to us versus things are happening with us like we seeing ourselves as you know as as uh, observers of our lives but we are actually active participants but we are not willing to be present within ourselves and realize like even now I'm like oh there's a bit I feel something here on my left boob and I'm like is it because I was doing sit ups and all of those things so I I kind of do those checkings even with food I check in with myself you know so it's very important for people to be present gogo you say the the religion wound is that the the term you just used the religion wound is strong talk to me about that i and just before you do i have been very impacted by the intensity of religion here in south africa i grew up somewhere between atheist and animist some you know technically atheist but we would thank the home for having us we would wave goodbye to the sea there was a lot of acknowledgement of life living through us and life living around us and there was a lot of community and a lot of 
uh, depth. I, I was raised very hippie um, in many ways. So, so for me, coming to South Africa and the intensity, the intensity of the religion here really, really was quite a lot for me to to meet. And it's one of the things that I, I still am coming to understand is that the the places where religion and ancestral practices meet and the spaces where they clash. And so just hearing you refer to religion there, like I'd love to hear you speak yeah. to it a little bit more. Some people call it the God wound, you know, because remember religion is centered around this one divine entity. Then religion packages that entity and it belongs to them. And these are the mm -hmm. ways and the paths outside of those paths, you are actually not following or believing in God. Right. I actually remember interviewing a legend uh, and I we were talking about the impacts of Christianity in, you know, because most of I'm in South Africa. So in South Africa, about 80 percent of the believers would be Christians. Um, and I mean, I think Christianity has got about three billion following, if I'm not mistaken. There's a lot of Christians in the world. So when we speak about religion, I wanted religion because I didn't want to exclude especially uh, your your Asian religions, your 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 Christianity, and your 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 you know the Islamic faith as well. I know there's Buddhism and other things, but I feel like Buddhism, even when you understand it, it's 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 more it's it's far away from what people call religion. I think religion is when like there's no any other way, right? Like this is the only way because that that's what I have a problem with. Like this is the only way. And uh, what I mean by, by, by that wound and the God wound is the minute we started to personify divinity and gave divinity a gender and a race, that was problematic. That is where the problem began, you know, um, because there's a lot of violence in the world. I mean, look at the Palestinians and the Israelites. It's a never ending war and it's a religious war, but those, the birth of Christianity and how it has its mass spread across the world was through war. I think it was Constantinople, um, yeah. you know, and it's like I saw the cross and then found, found a, you know, redemption, but I'm going to kill everyone who doesn't subscribe. I mean, you know, uh, coming from, you know, from Europe, how many women were banned at the stake named as witches who had, you know, uh, who would communicate directly with the divine because I think... Um, the whole thing of patriarchy, it's a Western concept, it's not an African concept. And now we are left to clean up the mess because it, it was brought to us. Uh, we've always been believers of divinity. We thank the rivers all the time. So I don't mm -hmm. go into the ocean without asking the ocean if I can enter because that's a sacred space. So I request, you know, from the guardian. So I, I know that every space is a guardian that's watching over it. And that is what we used to do because you wouldn't walk into somebody else's house without greeting. So you say, I greet the spirits of this house. I, as Dineo, I'm coming, you know, into the debtors and I would say all the clan names and, and then, then I, I can enter because it also shows that I'm coming here, you know, with good intentions. But because you've already said yourself, if you're coming with, funny business, <laughs> then funny things start to happen because it, it was a way to actually build one's character, knowing that this is how you have to be in relationship with other people. But our relationship as Africans is with nature, 
because every living thing it's a manifestation of god so that wound comes when we started to personify and you see it strongly i mean it's it's not you know us is i think people who are african spiritual practitioners we're not contesting religion it's the religious ones that are contesting african spiritual practitioners unless if you find african spiritual practitioners who are also you know like i would say some of the strong pan africanists are quite also religious so they you know we we don't understand that as much as we try to move away from colonization and colonialism there's a lot of undertones that have informed our identity as africans including us as as as, as african healers because that you know the ones who believe that you must do this thing otherwise the ancestors will punish you i'm like that's a god wound where did we learn that from we learned that from religion because we've been taught to fear god instead of revering god and in us you know as africans we were taught to to pay respect because we would understand that everything that we see has got a god energy force into it and that it was a mirror of us so we needed to treat it the same way we would treat ourselves so that's what i mean by that religious god wound and and i've been saying that even with people online who would be like i'm an african spiritual teacher because now it's the new trendy term you know because <laughs> it's catching attention of the west and catching attention of everyone on social media but are we truly african spiritual teachers and healers you know do we can we recognize our own god wound in us can we recognize some of the colonial undertones uh that still enforce and perpetuate a separation and division um you know amongst 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 us as practitioners you know having people fear their ancestors but we say these are beautiful people if you do this you know you'll get the blessings but we are now making them all the scary and horrible beings who are dead and are frustrated and want it are demanding us to rescue them and i'm like those kind of spirits are not you know because not every ancestor of course has crossed over on the other side they probably like siphoning and parasite spirits that are demanding mm. this is how i tell people this is how you distinguish your ancestors understand they don't have a body so they need you right <laughs> right they have the spiritual intelligence but they don't have the body so they need you as a vehicle as a vessel so they will be able to understand that your consent is very important because even on the other side they can violate one of the natural laws which is the law of consent uh you know because we all are governed by these laws including creator themselves because that's why people can go do the most horrible of things and people be like but where was god because like i gave you free will so you choose wise and choose life but if you want to choose death then there are consequences for you at the other side so it's 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 for me it's 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 that and 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 when you speak like that then you you know you touch on some 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 wounds or people who don't want to take accountability i think i mean i'm going to be fair and honest it's like what you know some white people don't really want to take accountability it's like it's just just get over it you don't hear you just getting over the holocaust you don't hear that but we as africans you know 500 plus years of slavery colonization and all of the and religion and it's interesting because now i'm called into ministry and i'm really reading a bible to deeply understand it versus what the colonizers taught us because history tells us that the bible comes from africa it was the book of the dead in asian gamut that got retranslated rewritten certain scriptures were omitted because 
it needed to be a bible of the men who were the bosses because you know men were 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 like that in the west who the women needed to submit to not in african no now yes now it has become african culture because we've infused our culture with religion and i shock a lot of people when i say that like hi coco why are you saying that <laughs> you know that's blasphemy that's an insult to our culture i'm like no 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 understand where are you reading the material because certain things that have been written by historians they were favoring the hunters versus the hunted so they will write what really suits their narrative so for me it's very important for people to really ask because if 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 you see in 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 our culture a lot of things is referred to as women you know mother earth mother nature a mother is called in zalabantu you know mother of the nation so if there are those things then where did the whole thing of men being superior comes from mm-hmm. that god wound yeah yeah thank you for speaking yeah. to that i i i could listen to you speak about this all day gogo <laughs> i i um yeah i i feel so much of what you just shared and having been on my own journey in relation to the you know the witch hunts and the 300 years of our own deities and our own practices being wiped out it's like you know colonization is is something that that really has separated us in Europe from our land and our earth and our bodies and our knowing of self and and that's something that i see so many people in the west now reclaiming there are so many women that are proudly calling themselves witches and proudly coming into their sensuality and their sexuality and their their own divinity and and healing the god wound as you describe it i'm curious to know what you would prescribe for this country as as this country heals from the god wound as this country heals from the effects of colonization as we move into new chapters of life as a nation what do you feel is important for people to hold on to and for people to really look at and for people to admit to themselves what are the things that you would prescribe yo uh, i think like you know i move away from like 1 2 3 4 5 steps because humans are so complex and mm-hmm. we are not all wired the same way we haven't we might have ex- experienced the same traumas but our brains are not the same right because how it lands from one person is different but i think what we need to come to realization is that we carry generational trauma and we can't want not to to work with that you know that's where we need to understand like what is the trauma that we are carrying collectively first as a race as black people right then as a country right because i think for me that is very important for us to also because i always like this illusion of the rainbow nation in south africa it's 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 we seeing the the effects of what 1994 promised that actually the whole country is crumbling with so many social problems economical problems because it was really a delusion you sold us you sold us a rainbow at the end of the pot that doesn't really exist because the rainbow colors are all equal and equitable <laughs> in the rainbow that's why it's such a beautiful thing so you can't take people who've been you know marginalized for so many years and want to say oh no you are the same as the white people in this country how no you know you can't say like oh we're all the same you know uh, we're not the same 
we're not the same. My kids still have to work 10 times harder. I work so much more extra. And you see, even when you get into things, I see how in the banking system as a, as a, as a spiritual healer, I still have to fight for certain things, for certain financial accesses, because what are you doing? You know, what's that? What's a Sangoma practice? There, there's a lot. So I think as a, as a people to really be honest and frank about the, the, the traumatic experience we have experienced and, um, and, and understanding that acknowledging and working through it is not saying that it is the responsibility of other people to fix us but is to say, let those who need to take responsibility and accountability take, take it. Because sometimes to heal from trauma doesn't require, a, you know, magic, but the beginning of saying, I know, I, you know, I know my ancestors really stole your land. <laughs> I know that, you know, and acknowledge that I am benefiting and I am still privileged in this country in 2022 because of the color of my skin. I know that, you know how, when, when you, somebody has done you wrong and they can acknowledge and say, I'm sorry, for genuinely, something in you shifts and moves. And I think that when we can start from there, we can start to have, you know, then the other conversation can follow. Then we can start to challenge the identity of God and like, is this a true representation? Is this what we believed in? Because, uh, you, you know, that's not really... I, I remember with my other friend who was... She got offended because she was my white friend, right? It's like, I think I posted something. It's like, what do you mean? God is not white. I know my God is not white. And I, I said, just Google God and tell me what comes up on Google. Because in 2022, when you say images of God, you don't see a non-color, non-gendered God. You don't see that. You still see a white man with a long beard sitting in a golden stool in a heaven looking like place. So when we can do that, and I feel like some of it needs to happen collectively, uh, you know, as the different races, but some of it needs to happen amongst us because we as black people are quite divided, but that was something, a tool that was used for many, many centuries to really remain as, you know, fragmented as we are because in South Africa, you've got the, they call the clever blacks, people like us, you know, the learned ones, the ones who live in the suburbs, um, who, when, 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 some black people are saying something like, no, no, but then, you know, this and that and that. So there's a lot. And that's why I'm saying that it's going to really be difficult. But I feel like what can we do individually then? Because if to try take on a national task this big, we, it starts with us. It starts with me as Dineo and understanding what are my generational traumas? What has my mother went through? Because as I heal, I'm not only healing my mother and my grandmother, but I'm healing for my daughter and my daughter's children. Mm -hmm. You know, so when we can start with that individual work, because then you go into your nuclear family, then it, it moves, you know, then it moves and then it moves. It's a, it's, it's a big task, but I also feel like, yeah, like white people as a collective needs to have some serious conversation about some of the, you know, the most horrible things that they've done to black people in this country. I mean, apartheid was declared a crime against humanity, but you'll have people like Helen Zilla, who runs a political party, who said we benefited from colonization. Ask is, I mean, really, right? You, you still have black people when the tough gets going in South Africa, who'll say apartheid is better. So do you see that like there's a lot of healing, mental and emotional healing that needs to okay? Because once we can clear our consciousness, then can we go deeper into the spiritual power that we carry as a people and return back to you know our spiritual identity? I used to believe it's like, oh no, let's put the spiritual identity forward, but we can't if mentally 
every time you see a Sangoma, you're thinking of a Shaga Zulu movie. Remember mm. how that Hina was portrayed in the Shaga Zulu movie? And I said, I mean, it was written by people in the West. How can they conceptualize something that big, that is magical and mystic? They can only do it in a way that they understood it because at the time, Christianity, when they, you know, when the English came to South Africa, they came with the Bible, right? With, 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 with religion. So already religion was demonizing everything that, that included, you know, the practice outside its, you know, outside its rules and regulations. So, yeah, I think what this, the first step is that as, as individuals to recognize that, you know, we, we, we carry so much and, and start doing the work and then it, it will, it will spread, you know, because I think to sit here and say, this is where we begin and this is how we're going to do it. It's also biased because it's based on my own consciousness, my own wounds. Uh, it might not really serve the collective um, as much. Uh, but I think from the beginning of my work, um, you know, Yana, I've always avoided these one, two, three steps. This is how you get to mental health. This is how you connect <laughs> with your ancestors because we just assume everybody is a snake and they, you know, they can shed off their old skin so easily or everybody's a fish and they can swim. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and we, we expect them to swim on land. And, and, and I think those assumptions are the ones that actually hinder us towards change versus recognizing that changing a system is complex and it might require, you know, multiple interventions uh, and some uh, as a nuclear and some as a bigger system. But we can't, mm -hmm. we can't, Albert Einstein says, we can't solve the problems from the same thinking that we have created them. So sometimes we need to think, you know, from what's going on down to what, 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 what what's going on, what, where are we going, but what's happening now and what happened? Because I think we are very fearful of visiting the what happened narrative of South Africa because that carries a lot of pain. And we, we've been wired not to feel pain, uh, but to actually numb it. And you can't heal something you can't feel. Because feeling brings it alive, and that's what we are fearing as South Africans. Yeah, I really feel that. And I, I feel it every time I land into the country. Like if I've been abroad and I come back, like I can feel the the numbing and the bracing, like the like the, the body tensing. Yeah. And it's it's such a huge process just to to actively adjust you know, yeah. and that's, that's having just landed, you know, and I, I wasn't even raised here. So for me, it's, it's been an adult journey of this awareness of in and out and feeling that to, to, to have been raised here, to live here, to have that as the, the structure of your conditioning and your wiring is, yeah, it's huge. As you journey into the future, as you vision into the future, what, what is your journey with with the idea that you can project a vision and you can manifest something and you can bring something into reality versus the idea that life is moving through us and we are, we are almost at the whim of spirit and the way that spirit guides us. Like how do you navigate those ideologies? I think for me, I resonate with the two ideologies because in spirituality, it's an end. You know, it's not an either or. It's not like we're just going to visualize and it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, or you either just trust spirit and it's going to happen. That's not how spirituality is about. Spirituality sees a gift in many, whereas religion sees a gift in exclusivity. You know, like it needs to be exclusive. 
and uh, spirituality is like, no, it needs to be inclusive. It needs to be trust spirit, visualize it, but trust spirit. But what I've also, because I've been through a year, deeper inner healing year course, um, you know, on, on psycho-spiritual healing and entering warriorship, you know, versus heroism. Because I feel like a lot of healers are, are heroes because they themselves need rescuing. So they feel like, oh my God, I need to help the world. You see it with activists and feminists and all of that. And what 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 came to like what became clearer for me is that as much as I can visualize and trust spirit, but if my own soul is carrying we call them miasmas, meaning frozen traumas, unhealed, unprocessed pains and and heads and damages. No matter what I can visualize, because I can say I am beautiful, I'm great. But then there's that one like, no, you're not. You know, you're not. You know, then my, the, the, I can hear my uncle's voice uttering those things. Because I feel like sometimes what we do with the new age spirituality, it's also a way of really escaping reality. So we do a lot of spiritual bypassing. So we are the new drugs, right? We are the... the, the, the because, you know, there is pharmaceutical drugs, but with a new drug, because people go through a lot, it's like, oh, just meditate. Say your affirmations. You're not manifesting because your level of consciousness, but your level of consciousness, you, ca you can't fix here if you don't know what is in the subconscious. And in the subconscious is like, okay, these are your early messages. These are the things that you were told. But those things that you were told, you can't just wash them away with an affirmation. You need to go and say what has made it an imprint. You know, now it is part of your DNA, which the, the changing of DNA by, you know, by human conditions, environments is called epigenetics. So to rewire, we need to go there. We need to visit there and say, these are the distortions and deal with it and allow people to sit in the discomfort of, of the pain and, 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 and the head. And then, then can we start to say, now put in new information. You know, we need people to journey into the inner childhood experiences versus, you know, doing visualization of the future. But what has actually, you know, um, interfered with you being at the same level as your peers? Something happened. We need to stop looking for what's wrong with people to what has happened to people, mm -hmm. right? And I feel like when we work with that, we become genuinely empathetic. Even when we understand what happened, it doesn't excuse adults misbehavior but we can work with compassion right we can understand that we work with compassion and let me tell you why i'm saying what i'm saying i was born in alexandra township which is northeast of johannesburg you know uh the poorest township across the richest suburb in south africa it's such a contrast people should google alex and google santin it's like santin is the hollywood right <laughs> and um and I always ask myself, because I went through a harsh environment, experienced a lot of sexual assault, a lot of physical violence. I mean, violence was uh, like it became it became our nature. It was not our nature. It's not our true nature. It is that nature because that's how we needed to survive in that environment. And then I looked because I'm the firstborn as well, firstborn child, but firstborn grandchild in my, in my maternal family. And I would be like, how come I kind of cut through, you know, and made it through the, and, and, and the barriers of poverty and, and all of that. And I was like, from a very young age, I always knew my life deserved better than Alex. 
But I did things, right? I confronted things, even though I didn't have all the tools that I have now or access. But I remember I always needed to speak to somebody about what happened to me. I needed to read books, right? I, I was in the arts. I, I, I did things. So I didn't know that at that time I was actually helping my nervous system find some sort of regulation. So I'm not dysregulated and spiraling out of control, uh, but I was always in a need to become a better version of myself. There was something that was pulling me towards that. And I believed it and probably I affirmed it in what I would say, because my mother reminded me of things that I've always said I'm going to be that I am right now. It's like, you always told me you're going to take me to fancy restaurant and we're not going to leave poor and look at you now. But if I only said that and did not do the work that to uproot the rotten roots from, you know, my subconscious I could visualize and trust spirit all I want, but mm -hmm. it's in the acts as well that spirit can actually, because spirit does not dictate, by the way. Let's stop saying I surrender to spirit. Spirit surrenders to what you are asking spirit to walk with you, you know? So the ancestors, I say, <laughs> and I, I say this is the realization I had after I separated with my husband because it's like, the ancestors guided us. And I realized that actually the ancestors guided us because they never wanted it too. <laughs> they didn't impose it. Honestly, Yana, and this is what we really need to, to, to start understanding. No one dictates, no spirit dictates. When you are surrendering mm -hmm. to spirit, you also have to be in alignment with what you are wanting spirit to, to offer you. You don't want, if you don't want to be abundant and healthy and joyous, but you want spirit to offer it. It's like, I'm surrendering. Ah, ah, girl. Some parts of you want the unhealthy lifestyle once the edict once because it serves you because remember what happens to us rewires our brains completely our our chemicals in our brains are rewired and you rather go for what's familiar to than what's not familiar so for me what was familiar was the rough man and the aggressive man so my husband you've met him cool he's so sweet and so gentle and i wasn't understanding like that was unfamiliar to me, but was what I really needed. You understand what I'm saying? But it was so unfamiliar because I'm used to men who slap women around, push you around a bit, call you all sorts of names. And, and, and I was told growing up that is a sign of love. So when I found this love, and it was actually my grandfather's love, kind of love, who died when I was 12, I refused to see it for what it was, but I was also fearing it would leave me. Because I kept on telling him, you're going to leave me, you're going to find somebody prettier and all of those things. So what I'm trying to say to you that is that everything in spirituality, it's an end. We work with concussion. You know, African medicine works better in a concussion. Like if I'm giving you a tonic, I need to mix different mixtures because they complement each other. You see, life happens when there is the masculine and the feminine frequency in a thing. Plants that bear fruit, you need to plant a male species and a female species. We make children when the men and the women come together. So creation happens in duality. So we can't want to separate things and say it's better when you do this. Mm -mm. This is religion again. Playing its tricks. Thinking that one way is better. You require both. I hope I'm making sense. You're making so much sense. And I'm so, so grateful for everything that you've poured into this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Is there anything else you would like to share before we bring this one to a close? Uh, no, just gratitude. I don't think I've spoken like this any any anywhere because I have, like I said, I've done so many podcasts with so many people outside the, the country, um, in the country. But I feel like today there was something new that came through the podcast. I really, really appreciate the questions that you really asked me because um, it's questions that I've never really been asked before. So it, it was worth it for me. So this was worth it. Um, I'm yeah. so glad I could I could go on and on and on and on and perhaps there will be a future episode where we continue <laughs> this beautiful conversation and get to hear more from you. For people who want to find you and follow you and interact with more of what you have to offer, where where should they go? So do you see, I, I hope it's going to appear, it says Goko Dineo Nzanzi. So make sure the spelling is right. Every okay. social media platform, I go like this. Please be careful. There's a lot of fake accounts, Facebook accounts, Instagram. There's fake, you know. I mean, this morning somebody just sent me a, a, a fake TikTok account that claims to be me. <laughs> so follow my work for, for some time before you can sign up for anything. I say that so you can understand the kind of teacher I am if this resonates with your soul. I You would know that I don't, I don't impose. <laughs> I don't force. I don't threaten. I will never send you a DM on your social media uh, saying, hey, the ancestors have given me a message. No, 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 no. I have a practice room for ancestral messages there, you know. <laughs> so I've got a YouTube channel, Pocodino and Zanzi, um, where people can subscribe to because there's a lot of teaching on African spiritual healing. Uh, so a lot of actually teaching not only on the Sangoma practice, but, you know, you know for, I mean, I'll speak to this because a lot of people in, in the diaspora ask me about interracial relationships and ancestors. So there's that, there is adoption, there is surrogacy. So these kind of topics that people are scared to touch on. Um, but of course, there's also, uh, you know, how to speak to your ancestors, um, you know, how you know you've got a calling. There's music there. My husband's music is there as well. So there's a lot. There's a lot. I'm just saying to people, please be careful. My website is kokodinaonlanzi.com. It's a dot com. Um, so wait, 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 wait. if you if people look for it and uh, yeah, just watch for my language. I I don't write broken English as well. <laughs> so I'm just giving red flags because these are the red flags where people say, and I'm like, but I don't write like that. English is not my first language. I do make typos, but I won't call you hi, darling. Uh, I see the angels around you. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, I've got a message from your angels and ancestors. I don't work like that. <laughs> Takaza Koko, thank you so, 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 so much. Very, very, very grateful. This was amazing. And yeah, I highly recommend everyone comes to find you and follow you and receive more of what you have to bring because it's beautiful and it's medicinal and it's powerful and yeah just gratitude thank you no, so much thank you for having me i'm i'm also the one who's honored i told you that you know it's it's i i, I did want to do this so i wasn't coming because it felt important because of who you are in my life as well so thank you so much if you've enjoyed this episode please do share with your friends like subscribe comment I'd love to hear what moved you and how this one reached your world. My name is Yana Fade Zedze. Thank you for being here. 
blessings, blessings, blessings. Until the next one. <laughs>